You're listening to Nitty Gritty Nursing with Nurse M, where she breaks down the nitty gritty basics of nursing concepts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Nitty Gritty Nursing with Nurse M. Today, we're going to talk about chest tubes and basically what is a chest tube and what is the nitty gritty of the information about a chest tube that you need to know in order to be successful. And essentially, just to kick this off, a chest tube is just something that we insert into the pleural space of someone's chest cavity to either remove air or fluid. And its whole intent and purpose is just to re-expand the lung back to a normal size. The interesting thing about the pleural space is that it's a negative pressure-based cavity. So when we do get an excess of fluid or air that enters that particular space, it does disrupt the normal pressure gradient and causes the lungs to essentially collapse kind of like a sponge. And there's many reasons that someone that you're taking care of might end up with a chest tube. The big ones are going to be like a pneumothorax when air enters into the pleural space from either some sort of trauma or it could just be spontaneous, like someone has, uh, you know, a lung bleb, like a blister, but it's we call it a bleb and it just ruptures spontaneously uh, and that can cause air to leak out from the lungs into this pleural space. It could be from a pleural effusion where fluid enters that pleural space and then it could also be from like a hemothorax which is blood aka fluid that enters the pleural space and people get hemothoraxes from again a traumatic injury sometimes diseases like tuberculosis or a blood clotting issue can result in a hemothorax. Uh, An empyema is when it's an infectious fluid in that pleural space. A chylothorax is when it's lymphatic fluid in the pleural space. And then anytime someone has any sort of open heart surgery or cardio surgery and it disrupts a negative pressure that's required for the expansion of the lungs, these people are going to have chest tubes. And what they're, you know, you don't really need to know about how the chest tube is necessarily placed because that's what a provider is going to do. But what you need to really understand is like the chest tube drainage system and that 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 system itself returns negative pressure back to the intrapleural space to remove the abnormal accumulation of either air or fluid that's been trapped in there. And that ultimately is just preventing that person's lung from properly expanding. Now, most places that have and will see uh, chest tubes, there's, the chest tubes are all basically the same design. There's three parts to it. There's a drainage chamber where whatever's inside the patient that needs to come out, whether it's air or fluid, drops itself into this one collection chamber or bottle or column, whatever you want to call it. And that column or bottle is then attached to a water seal bottle, which is maintaining the negative pressure inside the fluid collection chamber. And the last one is a pressure regulating system. And you can either have a wet suction or dry suction. You might have heard that at some point. Essentially, wet suction is just regulated by the height of the water in a control chamber when it's connected to the wall. And when you have a wet suction drainage system, what you want to hear, what's very relaxing for nurses when they're used to using these systems, is we want to hear and see bubbles when it's working. And the water does evaporate over time, so you have to add water to the wet suction chamber in order to maintain the pressure. And most chest tube systems when you pull it out of the package they're already set to like a negative 20 pressure gradient and you just leave that don't mess with it if the provider wants something else they can come in and change that pressure system or if you're working in an ICU again you'll learn how to do that 
The dry suction chambers actually ha- don't have a water column to control the suction, but they actually use like this orange bellow that can be, uh, you know, moved uh, up or down depending on how much pressure you want to elicit. This is this does offer higher pressure options because we can control it really, really well, and the water doesn't evaporate over time because there is no water for a water control chamber. And in these particular ones, which are the ones that I'm most commonly seen, um, there's no bubbling, there's no water evaporation, which is why we've got way more control over how much suction we can elicit when we use those. Now, some institutions are going um, into fancier chest tube drainage systems that are all electronic and have digital readouts. Again, if that's something that you're seeing, I would say uh, read the manual and consult with that particular facility and those shops that have those, um, because this is just about basic chest tube setup. So with the nursing role specifically for someone who's got chest tube, like our job is to monitor the drainage system itself. And the key is keeping the whole drainage system below the patient's chest. If you have fluid inside of someone's pleural cavity that is preventing their lung from properly expanding and you lift the drainage chamber above their chest, uh, it's just gravity. It's just gravitational pull. It's not going to work. So keep those those drainage systems below the chest. The tubing, the tubing that comes from the chest tube that's stuck into someone's chest wall, which is often sutured in place, right? Keep it free from kinks or, um, you know, uh, bending over itself so that the flow doesn't work. You want to make sure that it's basically drained freely, that there's no clots or like stagnant fluid sitting in there that's going to prevent the negative pressure from shifting. Um, And you want to make sure all of those connections are sealed. And there's three big places where you need to check the collections of the connections. The first is at the actual physical patient. When that chest tube goes in, right, that needs to be an occlusive dressing, which is like an oil pregnated dressing that goes around the chest tube site itself, because that's a big area where air can escape in and out of the actual like surgically inserted wound. So you want to have an occlusive dressing there that is then covered with gauze and tape. Um, The second big connection point is where that chest tube exits the patient, is where the tubing from the actual chest tube drainage system and the chest tube connect. And oftentimes you'll see uh, providers and healthcare staff that are used to working with it really putting on either an occlusive dressing or some sort of really strong tape dressing so that that connection does not become loose or just flat out come undone. And then the next connection is actually to the physical drainage system. Um, And so we want to monitor in that drainage collection system the uh, amount of fluid that's coming out. If someone's got a pneumothorax and it's just full of air, are we going to see fluid in there? No, we're not. It's because it's air. We can't see it. But what we can see is in that water seal chamber where it's preventing the any air or fluid from going back to the patient because it's got that negative pressure, right? We're going to see it fluctuate with, with how they're breathing in and out, in and out, in and out. That's good. What we don't want to see is like the continuous like bubble, bubble, like a babbling brook. That's bad. Babbling brook, bad. So some mild fluctuation is good. Now, if the water seal in that, if the water in the water seal chamber isn't fluctuating at all, it only means one of two things. Either one, the lung has completely re-expanded and it doesn't need to fluctuate because the lung is actually now doing its proper job. Yay! Or there's a kink, boo, and it's preventing the fluctuation from actually occurring. So if you look at the water seal chamber and it's not doing anything, either A, the lung has re-expanded or B, there's a kink somewhere and start looking for that. Now... 
for air leak monitoring, excessive continuous bubbling means that there's an air, air leak. So when you've got that babbling brook of a blah, 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 of the water that's just bubbling continuously, it means you've got an air leak somewhere. And so you need to now start to go back through and try to figure out where that air leak is occurring at one of those three points, either at the patient, at the connection between the chest tube and the chest and the connection tube to the drainage system, or at the drainage system to the connection tube that, again, is then attached to the chest tube coming out of the patient. The caveat to this is that if there's a pneumothorax, if it's just pure air inside someone's chest cavity, you're going to see intermittent bubbling. We expect that because as the air escapes, we would expect to see a few bubbles. Imagine you're swimming underneath the water and you're holding your breath and every once in a while you let a little bit of air out and you see a few little bubbles go up. That is what we call intermittent bubbling versus if you just go underwater and you just expel all of the air that you've just taken that it would be considered like excessive bubbling. So we don't want excessive bubbling, intermittent bubbling, totally fine if it's an pneumothorax. Now, if it's a hemothorax, we shouldn't be seeing a whole lot of bubbling because we just want to get the fluid out and there's not any air inside the chest cavity that we're trying to get out of the person. Now, nursing care for patients who do have chest tubes, it's, it's straightforward. Don't overcomplicate this, okay? The first thing is monitor your patient. Firstly, monitor your patient. Because we have a chest tube inside their pleural cavity, logic would serve just listen to their lung sounds. Okay, if your patient has a chest tube, you should be listening to their lung sounds because you want to make sure that the lung is actually re-expanding. On top of that, as you're listening to the lung sounds, like watch their rate of breathing. Are they having difficulty breathing? Do they have the dyspnea is what we call it, you know, that difficulty with breathing? And at what point is it? If they've got dyspnea with breathing and you've just now, you've just inserted the chest tube, like that's not as concerning as the chest tube's been in for a day or two and they've now got dyspnea, that's concerning. You also want to monitor that insertion site and make sure that doesn't get infection. And when you're monitoring the insertion site of the chest tube, right, you want that occlusive dressing around the insertion site, but you're also like just watching to make sure that there's no like air that's escaping into the skin. We call that subcutaneous crepitus and it feels like this crackling, like a snap, crackle, pop sensation underneath the skin. That means that there's air in that subcutaneous tissue around it and that means that there's an air leak. And then the other big thing is encourage your patient to take deep breaths and cough. Now it's going to hurt like a lot. It's going to hurt a lot. They're not going to want to do it. So you know what? Part of that nursing care is maybe keep them well medicated so that they do take a cough and deep breathe. Because the more they do that, the more they're going to push out the fluid, the more they're going to push out the air and re-expand their lung. And then the sooner we can take the chest tube out. So think logically about this. The other thing is about, is about their positioning. Like, don't have them be lying on the chest tube side. That's A, going to be super freaking uncomfortable for them. And B, you have a higher likelihood of maybe kinking the tube somewhere. So make sure that they are positioned in a good position, whether that's supine or supine and slightly elevated at 45 degrees, something that is comfortable for them. Now, the big problems with the chest tube, right, because we've put something in, we know kind of how to monitor it, like make sure you watch the drainage chamber, keep it below the patient, no kinks, make sure that you've got three site er, occlusive dressings at the incision site. But now let's say that it gets pulled out from the patient. So directly at their chest, you know, they decide to get themselves out of bed, happens, right? And they put their hand on their chest tube tube, and as they sit up, they like rip out their stitches and that chest tube comes right on out. What are you going to do? As a nurse, what are you going to do? You now have a hole from the outside directly into their pleural cavity. Cover it with a piece of plastic. I don't care what you have available right then and there, but you want to cover it immediately with an occlusive dressing taped on three sides. 
I mean, if you've got the luxury of a sterile dressing there, yes, I'm going to say use that for infection prevention. But the reality is, is that if a chest tube comes out of someone's chest, you now have the potential for an emergency to occur if they get too much air back into their chest and then they develop a tension pneumothorax, which is a life-threatening emergency. So if you've got a patient that the chest tube just comes right on out, you slap a gloved hand over it, get a piece of plastic, get something to cover that hole, tape it on three sides, because then as the patient breathes out, out and that intrathoracic pressure decreases, that dressing will basically suck into that hole and prevent air from getting in. And then the vice versa, when they breathe in and they increase that thoracic pressure, it allows the extraneous air, if it's there, to escape, but not to come back in. So that's a big thing. If it, could, if it gets dislodged from your patient, cover the site with an occlusive dressing and tape it down on three sides. This prevents that tension pneuma from occurring. And then, you know, what, immediately notify the provider. Now, Let's say that the chest tube stays in the person, but your whole system breaks. Like someone walks in, doesn't see it, and kicks your drainage chamber over, and it gets a big crack in it, right? And because of that, now there's an air leak. So what are you going to do in that instance? So one of the things that you should always have at the bedside to someone with a chest tube is sterile water. A bottle of sterile water, um, I, I mean, me personally, I'm going to have make sure that there's a bottle of sterile water, water sitting around and that I've got gauze for like an occlusive dressing sitting around something like that and so if that happens and your whole system like falls over cracks and breaks I'm actually going to take the tube directly from the drainage system and stick it in like an inch of sterile water and I've just now created a water seal this means that the air is not going to come back out the air is not going to come back into the patient it's going to stay out and the fluid every time that patient takes that deep breath and increases that intrathoracic pressure they can still get air and fluid out. It's just you're not going to have this direct conduit of this chest tube directly into the chest to refill it with air. Don't do that. Now, once you've gotten the tube secured in some water, then go get a new system and hook it back up. Okay. The other big things that they're saying nowadays is they don't recommend milking or stripping the tube where, you know, you grab a portion of the tube where there might be sediment and you really start to like strip it out of it where you clamp down and you hold it and then you bring your thumb down. They're saying don't do that because it is increasing pressure in the system. Um, honestly, like you need to know your hospital's protocol for that. Now, you know, like massaging it a little bit, not properly stripping it. You know, I still see some nurses in practice doing that. And then the other big thing is that the clamping. Do we clamp do we not clamp and the reason the big thing that I've always been taught is do not clamp the chest tube don't clamp it the reason being because when we clamp it we now are not allowing air to escape or air fluid whatever they have you know the, the lymphatic fluid or whatever to escape out and this can has a potential to increase the risk of attention pneumothorax to develop and so we never do a clamping without a physician's order I mean I think once in my career I clamped it when I was working in the emergency room and the reason why was because because I had a patient with an empyema, which is just a, you know, the pleural space was just full of like pus-based purulent drainage material. And when we put that chest tube in, he had so much fluid inside that chest cavity that when the fluid started to come out, it came out at such a fast rate. I think, you know, immediate output was like six or 700, 800 milliliters that the fluid came out so fast that we caused such a severe pressure shift that he then started to develop essentially a pulmonary edema from the lung trying to re-expand too quickly and not like slowly accommodating. At that moment, I had a physician that said clamp the tube and we allowed for his lungs to then reacclimate, And then I would unclamp it and allow two or 300 milliliters to come out and then clamp it again. And we went through this process 
process until, you know, not such an exorbitant amount of fluid was coming out at any given time. So those are chest tube problems that can occur. Now, the best part is when we get to remove a chest tube. Patients get very excited about this, A, because they're not going to have a giant piece of plastic sticking out the side of their chest, and B, it means we're on the trajectory of healing. So the big thing for us with nurses as we do a chest tube removal is really to make sure you've gathered all the supplies potentially necessary. Sterile gloves, dressing supplies, occlusive-based masks, suture removal kits, etc. And a provider is usually the one that will remove the chest tubes. Nurses don't remove chest tubes. But we monitor the chest tubes to be like, hey, there's not been any fluctuation, not been any drainage. They are breathing much easier. It might be time for it to come out. You would then get a chest x-ray and verify that. But when we go to do the chest tube removal, one thing that the nurses can do is we really want to talk to your patient about the Valsalva's maneuver. And that's to be done during the removal. And so basically, if you think about like bearing down and Valsalving and like the gym, it increases right the intrathoracic pressure and it prevents air from entering the pleural spice as the tube comes out. Now, before you <laughs> remove a chest tube, it hurts like the dickens. Medicate your patient if ordered. If there's no pain medication ordered, you should probably ask the provider like hey can we medicate them your patient will love you forever okay and then after the tube has been removed put an occlusive dressing well the provider should be putting an occlusive dressing over the site and then you as the nurse are going to monitor for the respiratory status we will also often take a chest x-ray just to make sure that like nothing crazy happened during the chest tube removal again totally dependent per facility so this is chest tubes just in a short nitty-gritty format if you have additional questions make sure you reference like your books things like that you're the faculty you know your nursing school stuff um and from there keep learning